Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as interim pastor Kyle Julius shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Kyle. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, If you have your Bible, uh, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Jonah. If you're new with us this morning, uh, you have, uh, or just visiting, or haven't been here in a while, you're coming at a good time because we're starting a new book. Uh, we just finished the book of Ephesians, and now we're going to go ahead and make our way through the short four-chapter book of Jonah. And uh, I'm excited to be able to work through this book with all the saints here uh, over the next couple weeks. Uh, just a quick announcement. There are a, a few copies of a book in the back uh, entitled Evangelism. It's a small little red book. On Tuesday nights, we are going over uh, biblical evangelism, going through the book of Acts. Uh, that book is a supplement companion to the study. Uh, whether or not you decide to join us on Tuesday nights, uh, that book is a gift to you if you want to pick up a copy, if you want to know a little bit more about uh, evangelism and how uh, the whole church uh, is after that pursuit of the soul's of people. So if you want that, that is free in the back. Uh, it's first come, first serve. I think there's maybe only seven or eight copies left. Uh, so uh, you're welcome to that afterwards. If you're in Jonah, uh, we're going to be looking at the entirety of chapter one. Uh, so if you would uh, read along with me uh, in God's word this morning. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, 
For you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? O Almighty God, who pours out on all who desire it the spirit of grace and of supplication, deliver us when we draw near to you from coldness of heart and wanderings of mind, that with steadfast thoughts and kindled affections we may worship you in spirit and in truth. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, the English poet William Ernest Henley uh, is remembered mainly for a single poem entitled Invictus, uh, which is just Latin for unconquered. The poem goes as follows. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud, Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Well, if there was a theme song for Jonah chapter 1, that would be it. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we had a theme through most seasons of our lives, that would be it. That is the spirit uh, in all of us, the spirit that cries out, I am the master of my fate, and I am the captain of my soul. And in the book of Jonah, we find a very different narrative. And in fact, if I could sum up Uh, the book of Jonah, the four chapters, uh, with one sentence, it would be that God is sovereign. Uh, In other words, God is in charge. Uh, Everything is under the eye, uh, and nothing happens outside of God's permissible sovereignty. God is sovereign. In fact, uh, the book of Jonah opens up with, Now the word of the Lord. And if you look in chapter 4, at the very last verse, it ends with the word of the Lord. In other words, it's as if the author is trying to show us that uh, everything begins and ends with Yahweh. God is sovereign. Although we might feel as though we are masters of our fate and we are the captain of our souls, God is the one who steers the life of his people. And that's the primary uh, aim that I want to. That is the... That is the heart of chapter 1 that I want us to get after this morning, is that the sovereignty of God steers the life of his people. The sovereignty of God steers the life of his people. And Jonah is going to get a lesson in sovereignty. It's interesting because one of the most debated, hot topic doctrines within Christianity inside the church is the sovereignty of God. I find that kind of interesting because the sovereignty of God is not meant to be figured out, friends. It's supposed to be lived out. The sovereignty of God is meant to be responded to uh, and lived rather than debated and articulated and uh, divisive. It's supposed to be the thing that we glory in the most. Praise God that God is sovereign. And so we have, we have four ways that we can respond to the sovereignty of God. And I want to I frame this sermon this morning in the form of four questions. 
Four questions looking at Jonah chapter 1. And there are four ways that we see our responses to God's sovereignty. And I'm just going to lay the four out here, and then I'm going to ask the questions. Uh, We can respond by avoiding the sovereignty of God. We can respond in apathy to the sovereignty of God. We we can respond uh, merely with the right answers. Or we can respond in active faith. So let's take a look at the first one. Here's the first question. When it comes to the sovereignty of God in your life, will you respond, will we respond by avoiding the sovereignty of God in it? In the opening scene of Jonah, we read these words. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now before we quickly gloss over that verse, I want to point out two things. First, what a kind and gracious God to make himself known to sinful man. From Genesis to Revelation, we see a holy, transcendent God making himself known through his word. And without God taking the first step and initiative in revealing himself, we would be left to our own spiritual blindness. So in one sense, the story of Jonah begins very similar to our own story. Those of you in here who know Jesus, who are in Jesus, who know God, your story begins similar to now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. We have all experienced the word of the Lord coming and confronting and being revealed to us. The whole reason why we know God is because God has revealed himself through his word. And and don't think, it's, it's easy for us to read now the word of the Lord came to Jonah and feel a sense of jealousy for the prophet. Right? It's easy for us to look at this and to read Isaiah and to read Jeremiah and to read Amos and to read Obadiah and Jonah and think, wow, the word of the Lord was active in approaching the people back in the day. But can I just say, friends, that they never had the word became flesh. The prophets never had in their day, though they had dreams and visions or an audible voice. And we're not really told here how the word of the Lord came to Jonah, uh, although we can kind of you know, make some speculations. We do know that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is that the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's John 1.14. So while we might not have what Jonah has, we have something far better than what Jonah has. And that is God's Word made visible and known in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the first thing I want to point out is that God is kind and gracious to even reveal himself. And don't feel jealousy for the prophet here, or any of the prophets really in the Old Testament for having the word of the Lord, because we have something far better. We have something more full of truth and grace, and that is in the person and work of Jesus. And so if you're a skeptic here this morning and saying, I just wish God would speak to me, he has. Thus says the Lord, here's Jesus. Here is the person and work of Jesus. The second thing I want to point out in that first verse is while Jonah did not have what we have, he did have what he had. In fact, Jonah had experienced the goodness of the Word of God prior to this. This isn't the first time that Jonah, the son of Amittai, had actually had the Word of the Lord come to him uh, because Glenn read 2 Kings 14, 25-27, which, by the way, did an excellent job with the names. I told him to just guess uh, confidently. If you guess confidently, then not many people are going to question it. So, um, good job with that. Uh, but in 2 Kings 14, 25-27, in case you missed it, Uh, All that was was the author recounting 
how God had prophesied through Jonah, right? That's actually the very little bit of information we have on Jonah, uh, other than his, uh, the book that bears his name. Uh, and his prophecy then was that God was going to restore the borders of Israel because God had taken mercy and pity on his people uh, from being torn up by warring neighbors, right? Israel is a very small nation, and at that time in their history, they were a very divided kingdom. And so they were being, uh, they, they were like the ping pong ball between the northern and southern kingdoms. Uh, and God had pity on his people, although at the time that Jonah prophesied uh, this restoration from God, they had a very vile, wicked, evil king named Jeroboam II. And so the word of the Lord had come to Jonah prior than, than when it came to Jonah here. And he loved that word because that word of God said, Jonah, I'm going to have mercy and pity and kindness on my people, Israel. Right? We all have moments where we read uh, God's word and, and, and we're confronted with it. We've all been able to rejoice in the word of God, right? We've all been able to rejoice in, in the story of redemption, in the person and work of Jesus, and all the grace that flows out from him. But what happens when the word of God requires that which does not feel so favorable or convenient for us? And here's the reason why I bring this up, because Jonah had experienced the goodness of the Word of God. Jonah rejoiced, I'm sure he rejoiced in the fact that God was going to restore the borders of Israel, even though Israel's king was not following Yahweh, right? God was having unmerited grace and favor on Israel, even though Israel at the time did not deserve it, and the king did not deserve to have God move in such a way to where Israel was going to expand and be protected. And so Jonah could rejoice in that word of God, but now we see in verses 1 through 3, Jonah's running from this word. Word of God. How do we respond when the word of the Lord comes to us and it goes against our very nature? Look how Jonah responded in verses 2 through 3. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So in other words, Jonah responds to the word of God when it comes to this task by avoiding the sovereignty of God over his life. Notice Jonah doesn't even protest the words or, or, or ask questions concerning his call. Right? We've all been in a situation where we wrestle in our prayers with wondering why God would call us to love our enemies, uh, to invite uh, the outcast and the overlooked and the people that are not like us, to, to stretch us beyond our own ability. Right? We've all had questions and wrestling with, with what God calls us to do, and yet Jonah doesn't do any of that. We just see him doing his own thing. Uh, I'm not going to bore you with too much history here, uh, but imagine, let me, let me frame this call in something that might be able to resonate with this a little bit. Well, why would Jonah start doing his own thing when it came to this part of the Word of God? Well, uh, Nineveh was the capital city of the giant superpower Assyria. Okay? Assyria, of course, was the nation that would eventually ransack and take captive the kingdom of Israel in 722 BC and destroy everything the Jews held dear. Um, in other words, Israel and Assyria were not friends. Uh, they did not like each other. Uh, imagine, uh, imagine today. That would be similar today because uh, 
because um, today Nineveh is located on the outskirts of Mosul, which is one of the largest cities in Iraq. So imagine this. God calls you to go to Mosul, which is one of the largest cities in Iraq, which is highly, uh, highly, highly dangerous. And, and, and he says, I want you to go preach my goodness and kindness and mercy to ISIS. That's kind of what God is telling Jonah to go do. Jonah, God is saying, Jonah, go to the people that despise you. Go to the people that will eventually, Jonah didn't know this, although he, I'm sure he could see it coming, go to the people that is going to destroy your home and your heritage and your traditions and, your, and, and mock your God. Go to those people and tell them about their sin. You might say, well, God hasn't called me to go to preach to ISIS. Maybe not. But Jesus has commanded us to go make disciples of all nations. Uh, he's commanded us to deny ourselves and bear our crosses or else we can't be his disciples. It's Luke 14, 26, Mark 8, 34, and 35. Uh, and to love others outside of our own circles. Jesus has called us to do some pretty difficult things that many Christians choose to do their own thing when it comes to them. We'll pick and choose which parts of the Bible that we really like, which parts of Jesus that we'll follow, which parts of God. You know, we'll, we'll embrace some of it and we'll rejoice in some of it. And then when it comes to the other stuff, we'll just, we might not verbally say we disagree with it, but our lives will say other words. An example of this is Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. I've always found this passage extremely convicting. And look, I don't want to apologize for this passage, and we should not try to come up with interpretations that make it easier on our hearts. Jesus says in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So in one sense, you might not be called to go to Nineveh or go to overseas to Mosul. But we are not free from the high heavenly call to go tell others about God who reconciles sinners to himself through Christ, regardless of who they are or what person it is. We are not free from, we might not be crossing the sea, but have we been crossing our neighbors? Have we been crossing paths in our workplaces? Have we been crossing, have we been crossing the sanctuary on Sunday morning to greet those who we might not like or disagree with you see, as followers of Jesus, going about doing our own thing while trying to have all the benefits and goodness of the Word of God, with all the benefits in the Word of God, we, we sometimes live as though we'll take the crown and none of the cross, but without the cross, we cannot have the crown. We cannot have, we cannot have some of the Word of God and not all of it. We say, Jesus is my Savior and live like He is not our Lord. And uh, Jonah might have thought, hey, Jonah's like, I'm still a prophet, right? Uh, you know, notice that the, the call was to arise and go, and, so no, and then Jonah arises and flees, 
And so it's, it, there's a little bit of, some of our disobedience, friends, is not always outward, blatant disobedience. It's a little, it's a mixed bag. It's a mix, it's, we'll do a little bit of what God says and then we'll, we'll do a little bit of what we want to do. In other words, we respond to the sovereignty of God in our lives by avoiding the sovereignty of God in our lives. And here's my next question. Because this is what avoiding the sovereignty of God will lead to. Will we respond in apathy to the sovereignty of God in our lives? You avoid, you avoid some of the things in Scripture. You avoid some of the will of God. You avoid some of it, and it's ultimately going to lead to apathy. Uh, notice, things don't go well very long for Jonah. Uh, we look here in the second scene of our chapter you read with me in verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. You know, Jonah might have thought this was going really well for a little bit. How do I know? Well, I, don't, I mean, he got a ship. He found a ship. He found a group of people that welcomed him on the ship. You know, we can spend a little bit of time doing what we want to do, and things might go well for a little while until verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. You ever heard of a ship threatened to do anything? Not only the seas, but the ship, the inanimate objects, are at the disposal of Yahweh. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. You know, I was, as I was studying the book of Jonah this week, I, I couldn't help but to think, reading Jonah is kind of like reading the Babylon Bee. I mean, there's, if you're familiar with the Babylon Bee, it's, it's just this irony and satire and all of this. You know, it's not true, but it, it, and so I'm reading Jonah and I'm reading these religious pagan crew members coming to Jonah and saying, Arise, call out to your God. They don't know he's a prophet, but how closely, how similar it is for that request was that to Yahweh's call on Jonah's life. Notice the, the use of the word down, by the way. Uh, one of the rules uh, in, in reading Scripture is look for patterns. You can find meaning or uh, what the author's intent to communicate if you just look for a pattern. Uh, right from verses 1 through 5, we see the word down used over and over. Just as Jonah went down to Joppa and went down into the ship, so Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had gone down and was fast asleep. And we have quite a scene before us here this morning. For a little bit, it looked like Jonah was getting away with avoiding the sovereignty of God. And all the while, he was going further and further and further down and down and down. And you do that long enough, apathy will become a characteristic. We have quite a scene here. The sea is raging. The ship is being tossed to and fro. I don't know about you, but I'm scared of the ocean. I, I'm scared looking at it sometimes. And, you know, here they are in the middle of the sea, and God decides to bring a uh, full-out storm here. Uh, the people are on the ship, and they're scared. And not only is there uh, a problem with the sea, but now you've got, uh, now you've got a prayer service happening with all these uh, you know, different gods being called out. 
Um, you know, you, you, uh, these, these mariners and crew members would have been worshiping a multiple of deities. Maybe even some of them would be a god of the sea, uh, because in, in ancient times there was a god for everything. And so I can imagine that the, the crew members were calling out to every god, including maybe, maybe multiple different gods of the sea. And so we have a chaotic scene here in verses 4 through 6, uh, and all in the middle of religious frantic uh, franticism happening, and the sea and the ship is going down, we have a sleep and silent prophet. We have a sleeping and silent prophet that responds in apathy. Here's Jonah, a prophet of God who enjoys the word of God, stuck in the middle of a physical and spiritual crisis. I mean, he's around a group of people who are, uh, this, I mean, this would be kind of weird for us, right? I mean, it's like walking into a, a situation and people are, you know, having these weird religious rituals and praying and, and we respond and we kind of look in disdain and we think, eh, I'm not going to touch that. I'm not going near that. Or maybe they come knocking on your door and you just shut the door or don't answer the door. I mean, we have a, a situation here where uh, this is prime time for a prophet, right? We have, a, we have a crisis happening both physically and spiritually and we have nothing from Jonah. We have nothing from Jonah. Notice, before we get to the third scene in verses 7 uh, through 11, uh, there is no indication that Jonah called out at all. There is no indication, uh, because if Jonah would have called out, they wouldn't have had to cast lots. Is that not where we find ourselves in our day, in our culture, in our communities and you know, we, we might not be on a ship on the sea, uh, but in our own communities, we are surrounded by people who respond to their own crises with, with, with spiritual religiosity, and we do absolutely nothing. We say absolutely nothing. We sleep. We look at people who are in different belief systems, or, or we look at the, the, the crisis is happening around us, and, and instead of calling out, we condemn, or we're indifferent. This is the story of Jonah again continues to be most of our stories. We're weirded out by the Muslim, the atheist, the agnostic, the New Age spiritualist, or the Mormon or the Jehovah Witness that comes knocking on our door. Instead of calling out in compassion and desire for others to know our God, we stay fast asleep and completely silent. Friends, do you find yourself sleepy and silent when it comes to those around you? who you know do not know God, the God of the earth and the God of the sea. And friends, this is not, this is not a... Uh, we find ourselves in apathy, first one, by avoiding. It, it doesn't happen overnight. Matthew Henry put it this way, uh, when it comes to sleepy and silent prophets and in sleepy and silent people of God... Um, he writes, It is the policy of Satan when by his temptations he has drawn men from God in their duty to rock them asleep in carnal security, that they may not be sensible of their misery and danger. It concerns us all to watch, therefore. Look, one of Satan's greatest schemes in the church of God, um, apart from division, is to just get people to fall asleep. Now, I'm not talking falling asleep during the sermon. You can do that. That's pretty warranted, I guess, if you fall asleep during the sermon. It's all right. 
I'm talking about just in general in our lives, in the way that we pursue after God, the way that we say, God, you are sovereign over my life. You are sovereign over where I go, what I say, how I think. Everything is, is driven by you. And, and, and if Satan could just get us to fall asleep, if, if Satan can just keep us glued to the TV, if he can keep us glued to politics, if he can keep us glued to minors uh, and secondary and tertiary issues, if he, can keep us, if he can keep us fast asleep in our own selfishness, if he can keep us fast asleep um, in, in all these little things, if, we, if he could just rock us to sleep uh, with more entertainment, uh, with more of the cell phone, with more of whatever it is, if he could just lull us to sleep and not let us actually be aware of the stuff that's happening around us, then Satan is winning. And friends, if Jonah was capable of falling asleep, a deep sleep inside a ship during a storm while people were perishing. It is very possible for the people of God today to fall asleep inside the church walls while everyone else is perishing. Again, if Jonah, I could, personally, I could not sleep in this situation. I would not, no matter how much I was trying to avoid Yahweh, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep uh, while the ship was rocking and the sea was raging. And I've got, you know, people crying out, uh, you know, saying weird prayers to weird gods and doing weird things and throwing all the goods off the ship. I mean, that, uh, but the, the reality is, is, is a lot of that is happening just in very different ways around us. And yet we stay asleep. So one, will we avoid the sovereignty of God in our lives? Number two, will we respond in apathy to the sovereignty of God in our lives? Here's a third question. Will we, will we respond merely with the right answers? Uh, notice in the next scene, because Jonah chose apathy, the sailors once again turned to their own devices and cast lots to get answers. I mean, that's some of the sad irony of this passage here is that because the prophet does not call out, they turn to uh, one of their own religious mechanisms once again. Let us cast lots. Now, casting, I, I don't want to get into all of the details about casting lots because Israel casts lots too, but uh, this is not, these are not uh, Israelites uh, who know God. These are uh, pagan sailors who worshipped a plethora of gods, and so they take their own devices and said, we'll figure it out ourselves then. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Talk about 21 questions. Just getting machine-gunned with question after question after question. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Did you pick up on that there? The first time Jonah actually says anything, he just gives you a doctrinal statement. Uh, this, oh, this would have made it for an A in seminary. Uh, this might have even uh, gotten you a sticker or something in Sunday school class. I mean, he responded with the right answer, am I right? There was nothing about his response that was wrong, and yet Jonah was wrong. In other words, Jonah's head was more orthodox than his heart. He had all the right answers. He had everything. He knew it all. Uh, my, my wife tells me there's a VeggieTales song about Jonah, uh, and I didn't want to bring it into the sermon, but I'm, I guess I'm going to have to. It just made its way in. It, it goes uh, like Jonah was a prophet, ooh, ooh, but he never really got it. Sad but true. And if you watch it, you can spot it. He did not get the point. 
You see, Jonah knew the right answers, but he did not get the point. It is possible for us to know all the right answers and not understand, or as Jesus would have put it, to have ears but not to hear and eyes but not be able to see. How about you this morning? Do you know all the right answers? Is your head more orthodox than your heart and life? Can I just remind you the best theologians, according to James, are demons? Satan himself knows Scripture and what is true. Do not be comfortable in your knowledge of God if your life does not reflect that knowledge. Jonah had a superb answer to who Yahweh was and lived completely opposite. Fourth question. We've looked at three ways we can respond to the sovereignty of God. We can avoid it. We can respond in apathy. We can merely have all the answers. Or we can respond in active faith. In the final scene of this chapter, we read, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. It's interesting, Jonah finally came to the end of himself, but it took all of this. Uh, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Notice who calls out to the Lord. Notice it was not Jonah the prophet, but it was the pagan sailors who called out, to the Lord. O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. That's some good theology. But even more, they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Notice who responded to the sovereignty of God in a real act of faith. It was the unlikely, unsuspected religious sailors. It was the pagans who knew nothing of God. The prophet who knew all the answers never called out, but the pagans, they called out in faith. And now, uh, we don't know exactly what they did. We don't know what making vows and sacrifices meant for them. We don't know how long this lasted. I'm assuming because Jonah was written after this account, maybe Jonah had picked up word that they were actually uh, one of God's people now. Uh, but the, the, the reality is here, what we need to see here is that they did the very thing Romans 10.13 says brings salvation. They called out in faith. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, Romans 10.13. And we, we can imagine here, Uh, Here's one thing we do know why we don't know what the pagan sailors did with their lives. We do know that those who call out on the name of the Lord and are saved, we know that they not only call out in faith, but they also live and walk by faith. This is evident all throughout the scriptures that your works do not save you, uh, that your moral code does not save you, that your family background does not save you. Uh, Nothing else saves you but faith in the one whom God has given And yet, that faith radically changes a person. Praise God, our hope and salvation is not found in a fickle prophet. 
You imagine if the, the Bible ended with Jonah chapter 1. Right, could you imagine if it just ended with Jonah, period? Uh, praise God that Jesus came to earth and he, he looked at the, the Pharisees who were asking for a sign and he said, I tell you, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. Because what we have is a, is a prophet, a priest, and a king who did not avoid the mission of God to come to us. Who is not apathetic towards our plight. Towards our sin and our darkness. Who, is not, um, who did not merely give us answers, but his very presence and ultimately his body broken on a tree. Do you know this prophet this morning? Although we're looking at Jonah, Jonah ultimately points to Jesus. Because Jesus says, I'm better than Jonah. Jesus is the one whom even the greatest heroes in the Bible point to. And our most flawed heroes point to all the more. Have you called out to him? Because friends, Jesus stands ready and willing to forgive and receive no matter how you come to him. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what background you have. It doesn't matter. Uh, You come to Jesus and Jesus says, I will accept. I will receive. I will never cast out those who come to me, Jesus says. In the early part of the 20th century, Dorothy Day responded to Henley's manifesto with this poem that she entitled, Conquered. Her poem goes like this, Out of the light that dazzles me, Bright as the sun from pole to pole, I thank the God I know to be for Christ, the conqueror of my soul. Since his the way of circumstance, I would not wince nor cry aloud. Under the rule which men call chance, my head with joy is humbly bowed. Beyond this place of sin and tears, that life with him and his the aid, that spite the menace of the years, keeps and will keep me unafraid. I have no fear, though straight the gate. He cleared from punishment the scroll. Christ is the master of my fate. Christ is the captain of my soul. Is Christ the captain of your soul this morning? Does his sovereign goodness steer the direction of your life? And how you respond to that will determine everything. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for our proneness to wander. And sometimes it's not even a prone to wander. It is a prone to straight out avoid and to be comfortable in apathy, to do our own things, to make little gods and trinkets that reflect our very, very small glory. Father, forgive us for that. We thank you for the prophet Jonah, not because the prophet Jonah was perfect, or, um, but because the prophet Jonah points to the prophet who is Christ, our only hope, our only foundation for salvation, the only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a sacrifice who gave his body on a cross to become a curse, to remove the curse from us, for all those who would put their faith in him. May we remember that is worth giving our lives for. We thank you for your goodness and your word. 
all of it in its entirety. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.